When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Drink beer and uh, <laughs> uh, chatter, ladies of the night, <laughs> all a long time ago. I joined the band all for the wrong reason. He, uh, I guess, got a little too out of hand, and she ended up smacking him with a whiskey bottle right over the head and breaking <laughs> that thing. Welcome to episode six of Vintage Rock Pod, the podcast series that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. We talk all about rock stars big in the 60s, 70s and 80s with rock star interviews, giving us their rock and roll stories themselves. Hey, I'm Paul Stevenson. Thank you very much for hitting play. Now, I spoke in the last episode about the reaction to this podcast. It's been, what, four or five weeks since we launched it, and it's been phenomenal. I can only thank you sincerely for listening and spreading the word. I asked you to keep it going. If you know anybody that lives in a different country, ask them to listen to the podcast, because we had listeners from 20 different countries, and according to the stats that I get for the show from my podcasting host, we've now hit 23. We can add a few M's to the list. Mexico, Macedonia, and Isle of Man. Fantastic. The letter M is also the first letter of our rock guest's main band too. A little bit Sesame Street, this, isn't it? Today's show is brought to you by the letter M. Anyway, uh, the podcast also got a nice airing on national radio in Scotland this week as well. I was invited on as a guest on The Morning Show with respected journalist, broadcaster and loose women host Kay Adams to talk all about my pod. Now, here's a little clip. And just went from there, really. Right, so this love of vintage rock has always been with you, has it? Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, my kids have to suffer it as well. My eight-year-old loves Led Zeppelin because of it, so there you go. <laughs> so you've got yourself some great guests so far, haven't you? Yeah, a bit of perseverance. Um, not using any of my, my contacts from radio at all, I just decided to start scanning through websites and, and management agencies and things like that and just sending off emails and phone calls. And yeah, I've got um, Kenny Jones, who's the drummer with the Small Faces and the Faces and the Who. And I've had John Ilsley, who's the, the only ever present, along with Mark Knopfler in Dire Straits. I've had Bruce Watson from Big Country, uh, Colin Blundstone, lead singer of The Zombies, um, a podcast that just um, went live today. I've had Mitch Murray, who's sold over half a billion records and he's written for like to jerry and the pacemakers and he's got stories about the beatles and and all that sort of stuff so yeah some fascinating stories and and i guess once you get you know two or three of the big names it it becomes easier to get others yeah 
Yeah, it starts rolling. Um, again, in, in this episode that uh, was released today, I managed to speak to Russell Hastings, who gave me an exclusive, because he plays with Bruce Foxton, who was the jam player, uh, sorry, the bass player in the jam, and they're releasing a brand new album, and, and I got told first all the details and everything like that, so an exclusive, and it's only been going four weeks, their podcast. That's fantastic. So, I mean, you know... Always nice to get a little bit of national exposure, isn't it? Now, this week's episode has got a hard rock edge to it. My guest is a frontman of one of the UK's biggest hard rock groups from the 80s. They've released 21 studio album still doing so today and touring as well well covid restrictions uh, allowing he's got stories about black sabbath and queen so it's well worth a listen and we'll catch up with maudi as always to chat about a legendary female singer a bit later on in the show too but first up let's take a run through some of the big rock headlines of the week starting with the surfacing of a previously unreleased track from elton john dating back to the 60s now, as part of Elton's new release, it's called Jewel Box, which is a collection of 148 tunes, deep cuts, rarities, B-sides, and there's going to be 60 previously unreleased tracks on there. One coming from 1968, which is thought to be one of the earliest of his collaborations with Bernie Taupin. It's called Watching the Planes Go By. It's distinctly Elton, a cool melody, and the description on the YouTube says... It was initially intended to close out Elton's never-released debut album, Regimental Sergeant Zippo. The song highlights the ache of a long-distance relationship with a hint of the wide-eyed wonder of Lincolnshire-based Bernie looking up at these far-off aeroplanes years before foreign travel and international communications were commonplace. Definitely worth checking it out, though. It's on YouTube. You can listen to it now. The new collection is released this Friday, 13th November. Now let's hope that that date is not an omen on its success for him. Also sad news this week is that we learned of the passing of Uriah Heep founding member, keyboard player and writer of some of their bigger hits, Ken Hensley. Now to talk a bit more about Ken and Uriah Heep, I spoke with author and music journalist Tim Peacock, who writes for various outlets, including You Discover Music and Record Collector magazine. And we started by talking about the fact that Ken was a very well-respected man in rock. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Very well-respected man. Um, prior to being in Uriah Heep, he cut, cut a couple of albums with a band called The Gods, actually, before that. But yeah, uh, but yeah, that's right. He was with Uriah Heep from, I think, 1970 through to 1980, a full decade. He's on a lot of the classic albums like Very Heavy, Very Humble, Salisbury, and so forth, right through the 70s. And uh, he actually wrote or co-wrote quite a few of their hits or their best-known songs, including, um, you know, Easy Living, which is one, I suppose, is as close to like a signature hit as the band had really the well-respected group during the 70s yeah very much yeah, so. absolutely yeah and um, we'll get on to the big hits and stuff in a second but just talking about mm. uriah heap then as a band because you, you mentioned very mm. heavy very humble and we've left the hate mm. stuff on purpose there that's um, right they came through in 1970 it's the same year that in rock from deep purple came out and, and the first mm. few sabbath albums came out they were part mm-hmm. of the heavy rock movement weren't they yeah, very much so. I, I think um, yeah, probably a band who don't really get in, enough credit for what they did, I think, really. They're, they're very much a, a cult band who were kind of on the fringes, but they, they were very popular in the States, of course, as well. I think they were possibly better known in the States, really. Um, but there were always a band out there who drew, drew a good crowd and were, you know, they got a lot of good press at the time and everything. So, yeah, part of that big sort of, you know, heavy rock uh, movement come prog rock movement to the early 70s. Absolutely. They were definitely a staple of that whole thing, yeah. Um, Absolutely, As yeah. you said, they were big in the US, they were big across Europe as well, and they always had big hits and applause yeah. and everything across there. Mm. Um, you also mentioned uh, Easy Living. That was the, the big single, the signature tune, as you'd say, uh, over in America. Mm. got a lot of airplay, didn't it, over a lot of radio play. Yeah. It kind of led That's to right. this kind of Learjets and limousine sort of lifestyle for them, didn't it? 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they, they did very well in, in in the states in general. I think they were good. They were a pretty good draw over there. And um, later on, Ken Ken moved to um, the states afterwards. In fact, he played with uh, Blackfoot during the eighties as well. So I think you know people will remember them very very much uh, in the states. I think indeed. Yeah, um, I think he's one of those musicians who was always kind of there or thereabouts. He was a good songwriter and um, a, you know well respected musician. Definitely, I think a lot of people were going to miss him. And um, when we talk about Uriah Heep, obviously Ken Hensley passed away. Mm. But Lee Kerslake, the mm. drummer uh, from the band, mm. passed away just yeah. a number of a weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah, in fact, it is interesting you say that, Paul, because in fact, um, Ken Hensley, as I, as I recall, it actually led the tributes to Lee, Lee when he passed away, unfortunately. But I think that was middle of September, something like 20th of September around that time. And um, yeah, I know it's 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 very sad. Two members of the time, of course, Lee Kerslake also played with uh, Ozzy Osbourne for a while during the 80s as well. So he's, um, yeah, he's he's another musician who should be sadly missed. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. So we're missing two from the, from the Uriah Heap family thank you very much tim mm. peacock for, for coming on to the vintage rock pod and to, to fill in you're very welcome you're very welcome paul thanks for having me thanks very much indeed and that's some of the rock headlines making the news this week now it's time to hear from our rock star and we've got a man who's very honest about his reasons for joining a band he's lived the rock and roll lifestyle and you'll hear stories about black sabbath and ozzy osbourne and queen and more he was the lead singer from a successful hard rock band of the 80s they've had 11 top 40 albums hit singles top of the pops performances sellout arena tours world tours huge festival dates and are still having hit albums nearly 50 years after they first formed welcome to the vintage rock pod lead singer with the band magnum mr bob catley Thank you very much. <laughs> Tommy Cooper. <laughs> what a great build-up. So, oh, I can't live up to all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mentioned there nearly 50 years since you first formed. Can you believe the success you've yeah. had and the fact that you're still much loved and, and going strong today? Uh, well, th- well you, no, <laughs> not really. Like, somebody had told me um, I'd been doing all this stuff with Tony and Toby and other people over the years, then uh, I, I just wouldn't have gone for that because I just joined a band for a, you know, to have some fun and uh, <laughs> be rock and roll and <laughs> drink beer and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, chat up ladies of the night <laughs> all a long time ago. I joined the band all for the wrong reasons. Uh, but then I started taking it seriously. <laughs> and. Uh, I was thinking, I can't keep this rock and roll's lifestyle up. Um, and and I, I got down to trying to, you know, do it to learn to sing properly um, instead of just mucking about. <laughs> and um, you've got to be honest about it. And, and it paid off. It, um, I, I joined band to band to band. I kept moving upwards, hopefully. Uh, and um, eventually I started working with Tony Clarkin uh, back in 1972 at uh, a wonderful place called the Rum Runner in Broad Street in Birmingham, which is no longer with us. Uh, but uh, that's where it all started um, as um, as of Magnum. Um, and we we were just doing covers. Uh, and, uh, but and then he started writing his own songs. Well, he'd written some songs and he brought them to us. And uh, we were called Magnum by then. And uh, he said, do you want to do these instead of this rubbish that we're doing? Because <laughs> it was just, it was just a you know, covers band, just doing it for the money, basically. Uh, but uh, then we started taking it seriously, doing Tony songs. And um, 
Yeah, that's how Magnum started properly. We, we got the, the boot from the rum runner, obviously, because <laughs> it wasn't the type of music they wanted us to play. Uh, uh, we used to have a laugh down there. We used to get uh, Tony Aomi down here and, and Ozzy and uh, Geezer Butler, you know, most of Black Sabbath down Brilliant. there. Uh, and the, uh, when they'd done the gig, and uh, they were called Black Sabbath by then, and um, early days for them, though. And uh, they used to come down because the, the manager, Albert Chapman, used to... He managed them for the time, and he also ran the um, the rum runner. Uh, so he got him in there, and uh, you know, uh, it was great. It was, um, there was a lot of people coming down after the gigs, and it became known as like a rock and roll haunt after hours. You know, <laughs> you want to you want to laugh and uh, get up and sing, and people were encouraged to get up with us and play. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I used to go to the bar and that's a lot of place chairs. I was getting paid for doing nothing, space. Brilliant job. <laughs> and you don't get many of them jobs. No, not at all. <laughs> it was classic, but it didn't last long. And um, yeah, we went out on the road and started out uh, playing with uh, bigger bands just to get ourselves a, a following, an audience. Absolutely. Um, well, you say you say bigger bands, but there were huge bands. Some of them. I mean, White Snake, Def Leppard, Blue Oyster yeah. Cult. I mean, wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you said it for me. Yeah, uh, that's how we start. That's how Magnum started out properly. And um, we got a. We were lucky enough to get a, a record deal with Jet Records through um, um, uh, Jeff Lynn from Milo, mm-hmm. a mate of ours at the time. Uh, still is, hopefully. And um, <laughs> we went on from. <laughs> we have no idea. Uh, we went on from there, and great. Um, and uh, we did. We've done. I mean, we've our last album was our twenty-first album. Yeah. Um, the Serpent Rings. Um, so uh, and uh, yeah, so we're, we're still here doing it. Well, I've been around the world with Avantasia three times. Yep. I wouldn't have believed that either some years ago. You know, me around the world. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> and it's fantastic. I mean, Magna's been all over Europe and America. Sporting Ozzy Osbourne. Yes, yeah. Uh, in the eighties. And how um, was that? Because obviously, obviously, on the back of right. you had a big album, didn't you, with Chase the Dragon? That was that yeah. was the first one that really cut through for you, and then that helped you get yeah. on the tour with Ozzy, didn't it? In eighty two. I mean, how how was right. that? But uh, you can imagine, <laughs> uh, yeah, expletive, expletive, and um, <laughs> fill in the fill in the gaps. Um, just use your imagination what it's like being on the road with Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> I think you, you don't need to hear it from me. Uh, it was uh, it was great. <laughs> it was a great fun. Um, uh, which uh, I don't think we sold any records over there, but we went down really good. Um, they loved the band. They never heard of us. Magnum over them. Um, at the time it would have been like, oh, you're that PI, uh, <laughs> Tom Selleck, you know. <laughs> um, uh, um, but um, yeah, what was I saying? Oh yeah, and. So that, that got us off to a good start, and we was doing. Uh, we ended up doing the NEC, you know, in, in mm-hmm. the mid '80s, and like that's no light achievement, I think. Um, and we did that a couple of times. Um, um, so, so Magnum's done pretty good over the years. We've had a few lineup changes, but that happens all the time, really. Yeah. Um, some some bands. Um, but um, it's been great, and I've had a great life, and I still am. I mean. Even with all this stuff that's going on at the moment, this awful pandemic mm-hmm. virus stuff, uh, smucking everybody about. I mean, nobody knows where they are at the moment. No, so, unfortunately, not. They're so up and down at the moment. You know, it's like, what the hell's going on here? So hopefully things will improve and we can 
uh, get back to what we're doing best, which is um, recording our recording music and uh, touring it on the road with our lovely fans, which we would be nowhere without our fans. They've kept us going through thick and thin all these years, and at the moment we're in the thick. <laughs> the tickle. I'm not sure we're in the thick or the thin, but we're in the crap anyway. So uh, whatever. We've had some big help along the way, and uh, what can I say? It's been it's been lovely. I hope it isn't finished yet. Absolutely well, I do, not. I, I'm not only being magnum, but I'm also in a something called Aventasia mm-hmm. as well, uh, which keeps me busy in <laughs> between Magnum. Uh, um, so I lead quite a very busy life. I was going to say, I, I wonder where you do get time to do, to do anything other than music, because in the last, what, 20 years since mm. Magnum reformed, you've, you've released an album every every other year. Um, you've, right. you've toured yeah. with them all as well. So when do you get a chance to, to have a bit of downtime for Bob? Uh, well, yeah, well, I don't... I, books, Sometimes, yeah, quite a bit in between. Sometimes, you know, it depends what's happening. What what's happening in a particular year? I can be really busy, or I can be like, oh, ooh, I like being at home, and I do. <laughs> I don't mind being at home at all. But when I go away that that often, sometimes, and for such a long period of time, like three months or something, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. Oh, really, is that long? Yeah, and. Um, <laughs> it's great, and uh, I forgot where I live, and, uh, <laughs> and it's nice to see my family, uh, and so I don't mind being, I, I don't do things in between uh, with my job, singing, performing, touring, rehearsing, <laughs> everything, making a tea, um, <laughs> going for a curry, that's part of it as well, um, the, the pub comes into it, so now they're the back open again, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I like being sociable, I've got a, quite an active social life um but i don't want to do anything else apart from what i do because it's enough for me to do and i'm knocking on a bit now so hang on <laughs> give me a break <laughs> I, I, I don't I, I really don't mind having a break at home I don't blame me nice. i do like it I don't blame <laughs> but me then i look forward to coming out and doing what i do best uh, with with my job you know it's so uh, it's, it's a balance and it's it's a nice life it's well balanced for me and uh, I don't like too much pressure these days I can't handle it so <laughs> nice and easy give me an easy job like being in Magnum being in Aventasia <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and being very well known all around Tamworth all the bus drivers beat me alright Bob <laughs> the taxi drivers even the train drivers beat me <laughs> oh nice <laughs> I mean these Magnum fans get everywhere yeah know? yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, now if I can so take it, you back to the mid 80s if you don't mind I mean you, you really were huge I mean, you had big commercial success, you had big breakthroughs, you had some huge albums, didn't you? Um, and the, yeah. the one that really, really did cut through was On a Storyteller's Night. When you were recording that, did you feel at the time that there was something special going on? Uh, I, I think so, yes, I did. I mean, this, 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 the songs, um, you know, the, the tracks that Tony wrote, uh, the lyrics, the music, yeah. um, uh, we came back from a, a pretty vacant period uh, uh, for after a couple of years not being with Jet Records and we, um, we um, after the um, 11th Hour album yep. it all went a bit quiet for us uh, but so sort of tells night was like oh here we go proper stuff and uh, it sold hugely well uh, got us to a into more the mainstream of rock fans than we had been before, I think. And that was the big difference. And also, Tony knew that, and we, we couldn't uh, stay as we were before. Uh, it wasn't going anywhere, really. But, but 
sorted us and took us kicked us up the, the backside and here we go and um, we were doing we were doing proper gigs proper tours and <laughs> uh big festivals all around europe i remember it very well status quo and uh, meatloaf and all, all sorts of places and all sorts of people sorry meatloaf isn't a place it's a person. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, yeah honestly i mean we still do you know four or five of them songs yeah. in the show um so i mean because uh, they, they are those that period is, is the the main cornerstone of the magnum show really uh it's what we're best known for that period uh, and then wings of heaven came along and and that took off another level we did oh uh we did uh, wembley arena with that one yeah <laughs> uh, which, uh wings of heaven so i think it was all and just in between there as well, to, to drop another name in, Vigilante, that was recorded with uh, Roger Taylor from Queen was been producing that, wasn't right. it? I mean, how yeah. on earth did that come about? Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, m- money talks. <laughs> I think we bribed him. <laughs> yeah, come on, Roger, we'll protect you for a curry. Yeah, produce our album for us. He went, oh, go on then. And... Uh, I'm just making things up on him. And uh, it, was, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was our manager at the time, uh, his, his, uh, his idea. And the, the record label between them, they wanted, um, you know, something to, somebody behind the, the steering wheel of uh, the album uh, who was um, well respected in the business and could, uh, you know, open doors for us being our producer. That was the whole idea. Uh, and it was very good. And his main his sidekick, his main man, Dave Richards, uh, who's no longer with us, unfortunately. Um, he, he was he was doing a lot of stuff when Roger wasn't there because he was off with Queen, mm-hmm. um, doing uh, it's a kind of magic tour and video. And we went to see him at Wembley Stadium, the old the old Wembley Stadium. We was in the, the Queen's royal box, <laughs> <laughs> right uh, on the on the VIP list. Uh, magic it was, and the after show party. I could uh, tell you some stories there, but I won't. And um, <laughs> you have to be there. Uh, now that's rock and that was rock and roll. Yes. Queen's after show party. I can imagine. <laughs> Man, you should have been there, I tell you. Everybody and the cat was there, but brilliant it was. And um, so, yeah, uh, I forgot what I'm talking about. No, no, it's okay. I was going to say, m- moving on from there, Wings of Heaven kind of <laughs> kicked in, and that, that was even bigger, and you had your three top 40 singles. You're on top of the pops. I mean, honestly, yeah. you're, you're in the Royal Box with Queen, but you must have felt on top of the world yeah. around this time. <laughs> well, yes, it was great. It was like how it should be in a band, you know. Oh, hang on, we've arrived here, uh, and it was it was down to uh, management, record label support, uh, the, the fans, uh, the the BBC uh, getting, uh, giving us top of the pops, mm-hmm. all that stuff. You know, you know, it's all ended up being. Um, how, how it should be, you know, how you imagine being in a band is. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, this it couldn't get any better, really. It was a great time. Uh, and we've carried on since then, um, doing pretty good, I think. Uh, and I'm just amazed that we're still around talking about it at, um, uh, in this uh, period of our lives. And, uh, yeah, we've got, I mean, a couple of years' time, it's going to be, uh, <laughs> we'll have been together for 50 years. Yeah. It's like that long, isn't it? We've well, been together now for all 50 years. <laughs> and it don't seem a day too much. <laughs> and, um, 
I've gone mad. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think we do pretty good, and I'm really pleased and lucky to be working with Tony Clark in all these years, and uh, my new best friend Tobias Salmon from uh, Avantasia. And um, how lucky could I be, you know? So there you go. And just <laughs> just just touching on the. Um... Just touching on your, and your, your newer stuff then, because like I said, you, you do release really frequently, but the, the, the albums are still so well received. I mean, your last four albums have all mm. gone top 40 as well, haven't they? Yeah, 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 yes, uh, yes. That's and that's strong. not an easy thing for, for, for older bands who are coming back to, to keep maintaining that success. Yes, it's difficult for Tony to come up with an album to rival the one that was so successful, you know, and he keeps managing to do it somehow. Uh, and it's a pleasure to hear the new songs when they come along. Uh, and and this, it's, it's, I think we're still here because the fans like the music, that they've grown up with us, you know, and a lot of them weren't, <laughs> just like, <laughs> uh, <and> I, nippers <laughs> when we were going, uh, so earlier days, um, or probably weren't even born, but we're, we're generational. We get, we get like three, generations of, of fans just come and say families you know the grandparents parents and the children uh, and they've all got the t-shirt on they all know the words yeah. uh, they've all got the flag flying for magnum uh, and it's, they're brilliant people and they love because they love the music they connect with what tony's songs are sound like what what they're about the lyrics or or just the general um, good feeling that is created from those recordings um, and we, we've been doing that for a long time now and we're lucky to have that kind of person who follows us and buys everything that we put out uh, I mean thank you very much people because that's what bands need they need your support and I shall wear it always thank you well thank you very much Bob for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today that's nice of you. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Magnum over the years and, and stick with it. <laughs> okay, that's what I wanted to finish on. I love that. Expletive, expletive. It's the only kind of family-friendly way of describing life on the road with Ozzy Osbourne, really. Another fantastic character there who you can tell has loved every minute of his career in rock. 73 years young, still going strong. News from the Magnum world also is that they've got a new release set for January made up of live recordings, rare cuts and radio edits of some of their harder rocking tunes. Compilation is going to be called Dance of the Black Tattoo. It's available for pre-order now, so you can check that out. And now... On the Vintage Rock Pod, it's time for our top five this week. If you've not explored the band much, then let me give you a pointer in the right direction to start with. This is the Vintage Rock Pod Top 5 Magnum Songs. At five is an early Magnum track from 1978 from their debut album of the same name. More stripped back than the epic sounds we now associate with the band, but a great track nonetheless. Great melody and a hook in the chorus. At five is Kingdom of Madness. Number four comes from their 1990 album, Goodnight LA, first track on that, It's No Chance of Getting Old. At four is Rocking Chair. At three is a masterpiece, it's the only way to describe it, a passionate anti-war song that's more than 10 minutes long. It's from the 1988 album, Wings of Heaven, and number three for us is Don't Wake the Lion. Second on our list comes from the Roger Taylor produced album in 1986. It rocks hard with a soaring chorus. At number two is Vigilante. And at number one, it's a track from the 1985 album about nightmares and fairy tales. It's haunting, it's epic, it has all the Magnum elements in it, and it's still one of their main staples live. Magnum's number one track, according to Vintage Rock Pod, is on a storyteller's night.
Now, I absolutely know for a fact that among the Magnum community, there'll be people shouting, why is this song not in, or why is this song not in? Tracks like Just Like an Arrow, Start Talking Love, or Le Mans Danson, many others as well. But with 21 studio albums worth of material to choose from, it was never going to be easy. As ever, though, let me know your thoughts on that selection. I'd love to hear from you. Oh, and if you want a place where all these top fives are kept together, then if you're on Spotify, search for Vintage Rock Podcast, and there's a playlist on there, all made up for you nicely, with all the top fives compiled very much together. Hit shuffle and enjoy. Thank you very much to Paul Graham for doing that one. Right, time for us to go stateside now to LA and catch up with our good friend, Maudie. Hey, Maudie. Hey, Paul, thanks for having me again. No worries at all. Pleasure to be here. Now, uh, we've been very male heavy here on the Vintage Rock Pod, haven't we, in the first few episodes? So I hear you're going to mix it up for us. We're going to get some female perspective on, on the world of rock. Yes, I figured we could do a little bit of that. As, as rock and roll has been very male-centric mm-hmm. uh, for a very long time, but there are obvious standouts in the world of, of rock and roll uh, as far as females go. Um, but I was going to talk about uh, the legend, Janis Joplin, who passed yes. away too soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Legend is not too, too short a word to use for her, is it? She's brilliant. Yeah. There's no other more recognizable voice in rock and roll, I don't think, than that raspy, just, you know, smoked a million cigarettes voice. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Drunk far too much whiskey, <laughs> so, that sort of thing. Yep. <laughs> exactly. The whiskey, the whiskey comes, comes in, uh, comes into play. So let, let's see, let's dive into her complicated life. Obviously, Janice was a, a singer and you know, started making it big. She moved to San Francisco and she was very young and just kind of on a whim was very poor and, and did her thing out there trying to, you know, become a, a famous singer. Once she did become a singer, she she was actually arrested in March of 69 after a concert for just swearing on stage. It's actually in Miami. And she came to play a show and, and apparently, you know, she was screaming obscenities to the cops and uh, I, that's that's enough grounds to get you arrested back in 69. So. so so when you say she was swearing, she was swearing at the cops. What, what were the cops doing? Were they trying to get her on stage or was she swearing at the crowd or what was the deal with <laughs> So she was performing for a really, uh, you know, rowdy crowd and everyone was going nuts. And uh, a few police officers climbed on stage to kind of quiet everyone down and stop the show. And instead of uh, instead of complying with the cops, Janice, you know, started screaming at the policemen instead and I guess they let her finish the show uh, so the crowd would be happy but immediately after she uh, got picked up by the police and actually this this happened in Tampa Florida actually not not in Miami that's that's a mistake my bad fighting fighting out with the police I mean that's that's definitely rock and roll definitely definitely um I think one thing that that most people or didn't talk about because it was kind of shunned back then is, is the fact that she was such a icon in a sexual way, you know, sexual icon in that time. And I think she represented, you know, bisexuality and like kind of openness and in the spectrum of what is sexuality in the world. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, that's something overlooked. She, she was bisexual and, and represented it and was proud of it, you know, yeah. uh, even though many people don't like to talk about that or whatever. Way before a but... time, like you said, yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and unfortunately she, she passed away at 27, a famous member of the 27 Club, but there's a lot of speculation about how she actually died. There's a couple of people who think that, um, you know, it was actually an accident and not an overdose, um, even though she was notoriously using like around $200 of heroin a day. Jeez. Um, so, yeah, she would just quit and then relapse and quit and relapse. It's just how addiction is, uh, as we've talked about, mm-hmm. Paul, over and over again. Um 
There's a theme with these rock stars, isn't there? <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think what, the last little tidbit I want to leave you with, um, and, and I won't tell you too much about the details, but I there there's this uh, infamous story where um, Janice and Jim Morrison were at the same party, and as they both do, they were getting drunk out of their minds and on drugs and whatever it may be. Um, and apparently Jim was coming on to Janice, who is kind of intense, you know, because, I don't know, Jim is, like, just a, a pretty boy, you know, mm-hmm. in rock and roll, just ever sought after by the most beautiful women, and Janice was literally mocked for her looks, and, you know, everyone made fun of her and stuff, so it was kind of funny, but long story short, he, uh, I guess, got a little too out of hand, and she ended up smacking him with a whiskey bottle right over the head and <laughs> breaking that thing. Family. Not much more rock and roll than that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, I could I could say with confidence Jim Morrison probably didn't get her number that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he never tried it again with her either. <laughs> probably not, would you? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> Absolutely fair play to uh, Janice Joplin there. That's brilliant. Now, brilliant, Maori. Thank you very much. I mean, some great facts. And I suppose there's, there's a few more facts tucked away on the article as well, isn't there? Oh, definitely. There's too much to even tell you, but it's definitely worth a look uh, if you didn't know much about Janice um, and you wanted to, or in case you just, you know, didn't know anything about her at all and wanted to find a little bit more out about her and what makes her the legend that she is in rock and roll. Absolutely. And how do we find out the rest of those facts? I'll be at the History of Rock Facebook page and Ranker.com. Brilliant. Thanks very much for joining us again, Mardi. Thanks for having me, Paul. Janice Joplin, absolute legend. Again, a big thank you to Maudi and to you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast series wherever you're listening to this. Give us a review and a rating too, please. It all helps. Tell your friends, spread the word about the podcast. Again, if you've got people you know overseas, then tell them and try and let's get some more countries on the list, shall we? Uh, check me out as well on all the uh, socials. We'd love to hear from you. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. See the video interviews as well on YouTube. All you've got to do is search for Vintage Rock Pod wherever you go and you'll be able to find us. Until episode seven then, take it easy and keep listening to your rock music. And if you come across anyone who isn't a fan, just tell them my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.